Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Morning. Who prayed for the rain? <laughs> oh, anyway. Well, good morning. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you to our worship team. Thank you, Ophi, for emceeing. Always appreciate that. Yeah. Well, uh, I know the rain does that to us, right? Well, Pastor, uh, Pastor Ruel, Ruel finished up our series yesterday, or not yesterday, but rather last week. So today, we're not going to start a new series, but instead, uh, I asked Pastor Mark if I can share something personal that, uh, that the Lord has been speaking to me. Uh, speaking of Pastor Mark, as you have heard, they are currently on their way to South Africa to attend a world conference over there, along with, I think, Andy and AJ. And if you've never been to one of our world conferences, make it uh, one of your bucket lists to attend. It is, it is great. It is exciting. When you see like uh, 19,000 people all praising God together, it, just, it, it will just blow your mind. And if you're strapped for cash, wait for the one that happens in the Philippines. Because a few years ago, Philippines opened up a, an arena that can host 55,000 people indoor. So, uh, and I've heard that some of the pastors are going to try to use that next time when we have a world conference. So that is exciting. Amen. So in behalf of Pastor Mark and Terry, I am not the pastor. My name is Armand. For, uh, for those of you who do not know me, my wife was there earlier. I think she's doing something now. I think she's at the back. But anyway, welcome to Life in the Sun. We are, like what Opie said, we are part of every nation. That's why we're plugging in that conference. So today I want to talk to you about, really about faith. I've entitled uh, this message as Faith Lesson in the Desert. Why the desert? You might uh, wonder. Well, the desert that I'm referring to is really that journey that Israel took from Egypt to their destination, which is the promised land. And why is it so significant? I have realized lately that one of the indicators that the Bible used to, uh, to uh, one of the indicators that you will find in the Bible how important a topic or a subject is, is how much you find it in the Bible. How much you find that topic, how much it is repeated, and how many times or how many books does it take to, to pretty much cover that whole topic. And, and that got me interesting because that journey from Egypt to the promised land really took five books because it extended for 40 years. Their journey began, and what journey am I talking about? It is when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they journeyed to the desert for 40 years until they got to their promised land. So that era or that time of journey took five books in the Bible. When I say took five books, it means it, uh, there were five books written that covers the beginning until they find their destination. That's what I mean by it's covered. It begins in the book of Exodus. Uh, uh, Exodus covers about a year. Then Leviticus, though it's not, <clears throat> you may not think that it's related to the, to the journey, but it was written in the time when most, or when they were there in the desert. And then you got Numbers, which really covers that, uh, the, um, the 40 years or the 30, 38 years. And then you got Deuteronomy, which covers the latter part of the journey, and to include Joshua, because Joshua was the one that 
got them into the promised land or into their destination. So why is this so important? Well, if the Bible took five books to write it all down, then I believe it is really important. There is no insignificant details when it comes to the Bible. We can always learn something from it. Well, it's because I I find it very uh, important because that desert journey has always been likened to our own personal journey. It's always been likened when we began our spiritual journey that you probably heard people say, I'm going through the desert. I'm going to the desert. See, I don't know if Elmer earlier kind of planned to do an altar call before the second service, but that's really where your journey begins. When you call upon the Lord, can you uh, put up that Romans chapter 10? This is really where your journey begins. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that's really where your journey begins. It's when you called upon the Lord, you basically said, uh, as Elmer led you into the prayer, you receive him as your Lord and your Savior. And when you receive him as your Lord and your Savior, what you're really saying is, Lord, I'm allowing you to lead me now, and I'm allowing you to take my life, and you take care of it, and you do it the way that is pleasing to you. And that's why the desert is always significant because at the desert, you know what slows down our journey or what makes it difficult? It's us. Ever heard the saying, God helps those that helps themselves? Ever heard that before? Do you know where you can find that? It's definitely not in the Bible. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Whoever said that, but that, uh, that is definitely not in the Bible. That is actually the opposite of what God wants you to do. For you to make this journey, and that's why it's in the desert. That's why they, uh, God took them to the desert. Well, there's uh, other two reasons why God took them into the desert. But by insight, I believe it was because the desert is really a representation where you have no resources You cannot do anything when you don't have any resources. And what slows down or what hinders us from really getting to our destination is really because of this. What do you mean? Not our hands, but really because we try to do it our own way. We're always trying to help God, thinking that by helping him, we can get this. But you know, God, you and me, we can do this together. I can get, we can do this better. But really, when God sent them to the desert, it's really intended that I'm going to do it my way, and watch me. I will do a good job doing it. So amen? So that's what I mean by faith lessons in the desert. So I want to take this time and just really give you three points or three faith lessons because I believe it applies to all of us. It doesn't matter where you just received him, you just called upon him like earlier or last week, a month ago, years from now, or like 24 years ago, you began your journey with Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. And you're still here, and that's great. But th- there are those that who have uh, decided, I quit, uh, and, and they're no longer here. They quit their journey with God. Amen? So this is, this is where I'm coming from. So since I'm already in that story, let's just go ahead and... Uh, so when you called upon God and you said, Lord, save me, or uh, save, the word save really, in Greek, this is what it says. And this is what God wants to do with your life. When you call upon him and you give your life to him, this is what God wants to do with your life. He wants to take care of your welfare. He wants to take care of your prosperity. He wants to take care of your deliverance. 
He wants to take care of your preservation. He wants to take care of your salvation. And he wants to take care of your safety. That's what it really means when God said, if you call upon me, then you shall be saved. I will take care of all of this. But it has to be my way. Amen? And that's why the desert is a perfect picture for God to demonstrate, this is what I'm going to do to you guys, but it has to be my way. So amen? So my first point is this. Lesson number one in the desert. The Lord is for you, and he is never against you. The Lord is for you, he is never against you. For those of you, when you were, for those of you who have experienced this, when you were a non-believer, things seems to be comfortable. But then all of a sudden you receive Christ and all of a sudden you come across all these oppositions. Oppositions from your parents, your family, even your spouse, even your employer, everything. It seems like everything was going against you. What is the first thought that comes to your mind? Usually it's what's going on, God. I thought all this was like, we, we, I, I followed you, but what is going on with my life now? And that was the cry of Israel when they were in the desert. When everything was stripped from them, they cried out to God and they complained to God saying, Lord, or actually they complained to Moses saying, is there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us to the desert to kill us. It was really a cry against God because they were not sure. When you're placed in a situation or circumstances and you cannot find any explanation, why is it that sometimes we cry out, Lord, what's going on? Did I do something? What's going on? Are you against me? Is there something that I did that's, that's why you're doing this in my life? But rest assured, God is never against you. Amen? He is always for you. This is what it says in Romans. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a new, this is coming from the New Testament. Okay? There's a part in the journey of the children of Israel where they came across the land of Moab. There was a king in Moab named Balak. Balak was intimidated by Israel because they were so numerous. So what did Balak do? He hired a person by the name of Balaam, who was a sorcerer. No, a sorcerer, a witch, basically. And he instructed Balaam to curse the nation of Israel because he was intimidated. But because God can never be against his own people, Balaam realized that, and this is what he say, Numbers 23 verse 8. This is coming from a sorcerer. Okay, remember that. If you ever thought that God was against you, realize this. If a sorcerer himself said this, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed, and how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? How? And he said, how? If you think that the things that are going on in your life is because God is against you, then you are seeing God wrong. Coming from a person whose livelihood is to put a curse on people, said this, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? God has not cursed us. Okay? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And he had to do this three times, and three times he said the same thing. I cannot curse whom God did not curse. 
I can only bless what God proclaimed to be blessed. And of course, that's coming all the way from Abraham. So that's church is our faith lesson. When you are in a situation that you feel like it's a desert and you don't know what's going on and you cannot find an explanation and it seems like everything is going against you and it's opposition after opposition, know that God is never against you. In the New Testament, Jesus, before he left his disciple, he kind of gave them a forewarning saying that in this world, you will have trouble. But, and then he goes back to say, but then he encourages them by saying, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God has given us an ability through Jesus Christ and through the cross to overcome the world. Then James also tells us that consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when we face trials of many kind. So it was implied that we will face trials of many kind. But those trials is always onto a purpose. And that's why the best thing to do when we're not sure of situation is to really ask, Lord, what is the purpose? Because that, uh, that verse in James continue on, it says, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works so that you might be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. So if you're going through hardship and you're feeling like this is a desert for me, I don't know what's going on, rest assured that it is not because God is against you. But it's always onto a purpose. But always remember, God is not against you. He is always for you. Amen? Lesson number two. So being in the desert, the Lord will never leave you. Uh, You is missing, but it's all right. Okay, the Lord will never leave you. How many of times have you felt like this? It's like, Lord, what, what's going on? And this is really the place where we really have to cry out to God. These are places in our life where we cannot explain what's going on. And these really are the times that the enemy will always get at you. So, but number two, the Lord will never leave you. When the children of Israel entered the desert... The very first thing that they saw was a filler of cloud. A filler of cloud during the day. Then when the nighttime came, it became a pillar of fire. I cannot even explain how that would look like. I guess you look at the tornado without the whirlwind or without its twisting. It was just a cloud that goes straight up. And then my belief is that as it goes up, it also spreads out. Because it says in Psalm, it, they were covered there was a cloud of covering above them. So you have a pillar of cloud, and then it spreads out to the entire camp. And that's why they never complained of being hot. If you notice that, if you read through the book, they never complained of being hot. Though they were in the desert, they complained about water and food, but they never complained about being hot. So the Lord will never leave you. So God did this. The Lord did this. He displayed himself in a physical form, to encourage the children, here I am. The moment you walk out of your camp in your tent, you just look at the center of the camp, I will be there. That very last song that we sang, Jesus is the center of, uh, Jesus is the center, the center of it all. That song, uh, those of you who are musically inclined, that song is written by who? Israel Hutton. Hutton? 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 Israel Hutton. 
That song was inspired by a pastor in Singapore named Joseph Prince in his message called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the centerpiece of the camp of Israel. And that's where the pillar of cloud would always rest at the center. And that's why Jesus was at the center. Jesus is always at the center. The Ark of the Covenant is a representation of Jesus himself. So imagine this, you are in the desert. Hey, imagine this with me. The moment that you stepped out of your camp and everybody is facing center. So all the doors of the camp or the tent faces center. So the moment you open your tent door, I don't know how their tent looks like. I guess you open it like a camp tent. The moment that you open your tent, the first thing you see is God himself. The physical appearance of God. Can you imagine that with me? And that's why God said, I will never leave you. So when they go to sleep, before they close their tent door, they would see a shadow of themselves because it's a pillar of fire. The moment they wake up in the morning, they open their tent door. The first thing that they see, the physical manifestation of God. And God did this all throughout the journey. And that's why he said, I will never leave you. Joshua 1 chapter, or Joshua chapter 1 verse 5, this is what God has to say to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You cannot find a better illustration how God will never leave you. That the day, the moment that you open your tent, the moment that you open your eyes, you step out, you see a physical manifestation of God himself. You can never find a better illustration than that. See, you, see you, you probably read that to the Bible. You probably read it to the Old Testament, but it never dawned on you. That's why God intended it, that he was at the center, and everybody was encamped north, south, east, and west, a picture of the cross. And all of them faced centerwards because God was always encouraging them and always reminding them, in this journey... I would always be with you. I will never leave you. Even that, this, 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 um, this verse alone speaks a volume why I'm not only there just because I don't want to leave you, but I would also be your protection. I would also be your welfare. I will be your deliverance. I would be your preservation. I would be your safety. And God proved it to them by being always at the center. Day and night, all they have to do is open their door and they would see God in his, in his manifestation of being a pillar of cloud or being a pillar of fire. But that was then. What is now John chapter 14? John 14, verse 16. This is a statement or this is really the last days of Jesus before he would... Uh, he would go away or he would die at the cross. And this is what he had to say to his disciples. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. What does forever mean? One day? Two days? Three days? Only a certain times of the day or certain times of the week? What does forever mean? Forever. <laughs> what does forever mean? I don't think everybody. Forever means what? Forever. So that means from the time that it was there, forever means forever. <laughs> uh, uh, we're that smart, right? Forever means forever. When God sent us the helper, which is, uh, which is the Holy Spirit, it says that it would abide. 
To abide means is to live in the same house, to dwell. And that's what it is. We, the uh, Corinthian tells us that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So where does the Holy Spirit abide? In us. And how, and how, how long will he abide with us? Forever. So just like how the children of Israel would open their door and see the physical manifestation of God, we have the Holy Spirit. How long? Forever. Does that make sense? So God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But he still requires... Amen? But he still wants you to consent for him to do the leading. What slows us down is really when we try to help God. We try to do the leading. In fact, going back to that story, uh, can you just go ahead and pop the next verse? 1426. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. He will teach us. All things to bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. And uh, uh, that's why I can remember all the things that I'm saying. I think it's because of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Uh, now my, my thought just ran away. <laughs> Going back to that story. Okay? That pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Do you know when they leave and when they start their camp again? They would never leave a place until that cloud moves from the center of the camp. And that really is the intention of the Holy Spirit. That Just like Jesus said, I do not do anything unless I see the Father do. I do not say anything that I don't hear the Father say. Now that we have that same spirit, that's like how Opie said it. That may we, may we be a, a holy nation separated from the world. That we speak different. We may look weird at times, but we still speak different. We act different. But... It's a better different. It might be a weird different once in a while, but it is a good different. Amen? So that's how much God will never leave us. So point number three. The Lord will complete what he has begun in you. How many have heard this uh, scripture before? You find this in Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians was written about 2,000 years ago. And what's interesting is he will begin a good work, he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. All the original hearer of this letter, I presume to be dead. <laughs> Okay, 2,000 years ago. But yet it says he will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Not in the day of their lifetime. What am I trying to say? The work that God began when you call upon him to be saved really is not just for our lifetime. It is beyond our lifetime. See, Moses was the leader that God chose to deliver the children of Israel but Moses also never set foot in the promised land. And I've been seeing that all along. But then I was wrong. And why do I say I'm alone? This is Matthew chapter 17, verse says, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. This is an account of the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus transfigured, his face shone like a, a bright light. His body was such a bright light. 
And who was with him? Moses and Elijah was with Jesus. So Moses, though in, when he was physically alive, was never able to set foot on the promised land. After he has passed away, he was there, right there, in the promised land. Why? Because the purpose or the, the destinies, the purposes that God began in us, it surpasses our physical life. It goes beyond us. It goes through our children. And that's, always, that's why all this began really from Abraham, then came, uh, then came to Jesus, and now it's with us. We can now call upon the name of the Lord, and we're not even part of their, uh, gene, uh, their gene pool. We're totally not uh, part of their gene pool. So Moses was able to set foot on the promised land after he was physically gone. So it tells us that though in the physical, Moses couldn't set foot on the promised land, but because the purposes and the calls of God was beyond that, he was there. Amen? Here's what I'm trying to say to make it more, uh, more sen- uh, make more sense. Uh, this is uh, Paul again. When... And he was talking to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. And this is what he has to say about Timothy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you or in Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. For some of us, this Christian walk begins with us. Amen? But for some of us, it began from our parents and our grandparents. But you look at it now. And if that's you, how many of you are here and your parents are already believers? Just a show of hand. Okay? Okay, that's a lot. How many of you are here and your grandparents are already believers? Great, great grandparents. Anybody know? Still raising up their hand. About beyond that, you guys know? Wow. See? So what they first called upon the name of the Lord, but yet you are here four generations, three generations, two, two generations later, you are still here and God's still saying, I will be your welfare. I will be your deliverance. I will be your preservation. I will be your safety. I will be your salvation. If you call upon me, what the Lord began in you, he will bring it into completion. Just making sure. So what he began in you, when it really is the completion, our destiny, see, for the children of Israel, their destination was the promised land. Our destination is really heaven-bound. Our salvation begins here on earth, but that is only the beginning. We're going to live out eternity. And that's why when we're no longer here, the promise of God that he took upon himself that will affect your children and your children's children, who's going to fulfill that? Definitely not us because we're dead. So that's why God takes it upon himself because you called upon me and I said that if you call upon me, I will make sure that I will take it upon myself that your whole household and your, and your generations would be, uh, would be saved. God will be the one to take care of that. And that's why I don't know if you would, if you would even... Why would you not take God upon that? Amen? 
Why would you not? If you know that just like, uh, just like Timothy, it began with his grandmother, and then it went to his mother, and now was living in Timothy. And who was after Timothy? I do not really know, because it's no longer in the Bible. Okay? But that is really is our final destination. We are destined for heaven bound. And when we are no longer here, God took it upon himself that if you called upon me, then I will make sure your children, your children's children, will, they would get an opportunity that they would hear about me and they themselves would make a decision. Amen? In closing. Oh, the time goes by fast. Just to end, this is Second uh, Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. So we're talking about a journey, okay? Faith is essential for this journey. And what is faith? Faith uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of the substance that we are hoping for, or the substance of the things that we're hoping for. And then it goes on to say that without faith, it is impossible to please God, because if you come to God, you must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And that really is Hebrews 11. Um, I, I came up with this thought that in order, uh, a better way to understand uh, faith is you have to associate it with gambling. Okay, I'm not talking, I'm not teaching people to gamble, okay? I'm saying you associate faith with gambling and I think it's going to give you an idea what I'm talking about. The last fight with Manny Pacquiao, with Mayweather, one of the biggest person in boxing history, correct? How many of you were hoping that Manny would win? All the Philippine nation should raise up your hand. <laughs> and, who, and who was hoping for Mayweather? Yeah, see? Mayweather, Pacquiao. Uh, People who were hoping that Pacquiao would win is probably because they have seen Manny uh, uh, do all that great things. He's got, what, eight division titles? You've seen him, how, how, how fast he is, how, uh, and how funny he talks after the interview. Okay? And then, of course, those who are hoping that Mayweather would win is the same thing. They have seen his skills, his ability. But what the thing with gambling is, the idea of gambling is you can believe that person can beat out the other person, but the substance on what they're believing in is they would put something of value. They would place a bet. Isn't it? If you believe that Pacquiao is, um, uh, can, uh, can beat uh, Mayweather, you're probably just a fan. But until you put a money on it, you're a gambler. <laughs> May not be the best uh, illustration. But that's the whole idea why, uh, why faith is fits, because faith is always accompanied by action. And that's why it's essential that in this journey, you need, your, you need faith to accompany it. How did you become a believer of Pacquiao? You saw him. You saw how, much he's, uh, how, how good he is. The same thing. Faith increases as we see more and more and more of God and what he can do, what he has done, and, what he's, uh, and, and all the promises that he has done. Amen? Just like, oh, okay, I guess you guys are not convinced. Take, take for example, Stephen Curry. Basketball. Let's move to basketball. I'm a, I'm a Kobe Bryant fan, but a few years ago, I, heard of, uh, I started hearing about Stephen Curry. So I started watching him. And the saying goes, he made a believer out of me. He really did make a believer out of me. And how did I become a believer? 
Because I saw the guy uh, uh, throw the ball from half court and it goes in. It's like, man, this guy can do anything. And it's the same thing. For faith to increase, we got to keep seeing Jesus more and more and what he can do. So that we can become a believer of Jesus. Amen? Is that simplified enough? Now, if, since we're talking about gambling, but regardless how much you believe Manny would have won, or Stephen Curry would have won the championship, guess what? They didn't. Right? They didn't. Congratulations to Mayweather and congratulations to LeBron. As much as we, as much as we believe that Pacquiao can win and beat Mayweather, and as much as we believe that Stephen Curry and the Golden State can beat out the Cleveland Cavalier, it was still based on a factor that is so much factors. Okay? It was based on so much factor. So as much as we want to say, oh, I believe because he's that good, it didn't happen. They both lost. But if we were to put our faith in Christ, this is what it says. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphs in Christ. Always. It didn't say it was based on a factor whether they would win or lose. But it always, it says, always leads us in triumph. So if you were put this in the idea of gambling, this is always a winning bet. Amen? Would you agree with me? It is always a winning bet. Too bad Manny was not. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I can do that. Uh, I'm Filipino. <laughs> but Christ is always your winning bet. So in this journey, and as you believe, as you, as you, uh, as you uh, uh, put your paint on him, just, may, just always remember... Now, thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every phrase. Just concentrate on that. Who always leads us in triumph or in triumph in Christ. Amen? Okay, just, uh, just to let you know, if Pastor Mark asks us what uh, Armand spoke about, it's not about gambling, okay? <laughs> All right? Let's go ahead and pray. You guys blessed? Amen. Father, thank you. Let's just go ahead and uh, close in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Father, thank you that in uh, that every detail in the Bible is uh, there. There is really is no insignificant detail on the Bible. That everything that you have written, you read it, you have written it exactly, just the way it is. Uh, the numbers, the dates, and all, and all of that, Father. And thank you that, Lord, we can learn more and more of your heart and your way as we read it. So, Father, I thank you now as we, as we end this service. I just want to give an opportunity, just like Elmer did in the beginning. If you're here today and you've never made this decision the very first verse that I showed you, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've never made that decision, never, where you called upon him and you received him and you made him the Lord of your life. And we've been talking about this relationship. If that's you today, you've never done that. I want to give you an opportunity before we close. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. But I just want to know if there's anybody here today that you want to make that decision. I just don't want to miss this opportunity. Anybody here? Okay. 
Let's just go ahead then and close our service. Father, thank you. And Father, I just pray, Father. I just pray for our people as they go in life and as they continue, Father, to, to believe that everything that you have for us, Father, is for our own good. And I also pray for those of us, Father, who's always been challenged to let go and just to allow you to do everything your way. In fact, if that's you, just if that's you, you know in your heart that you've always been struggling when it comes to God leading the way, when it comes to just allowing God to be the one to lead you. If that's you, just place your hand in your heart. And just, Father, as a simple sign of surrender, Father, we pray, Father, that may you be the one to lead us. I surrender today that as... as, as, um, as what you, as we have heard, that you can do it better than we can. That you can, that even with all our resources, you can still do a better job. So, Lord, I pray today, oh God, that those of us who have, who's struggled to allow you to be the Lord and to allow you to be the one to lead us, I pray, Father, that Lord, you would just allow them to see how really good you are. That everything you do for us is for our own good. That even to the, to, to the maximum ability that we have, we cannot do it better than you do. So, Lord, I just pray, Father, that you, uh, uh, as we end this service, may you protect us on our way home. And, Lord, just be with us all throughout the week. Protect your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.